0: I am excited to be here. This is really an exciting um time, you know, as we are gathered together as pastors and planters. You know, one of my kind of internal mission statements is that this idea is just like how can we as pastors and leaders make the greatest possible impact without being known? Because I think celebrityism oftentimes can get us off track, but the idea of making an impact, you know, because we recognize that if you were to ask Jesus or if you would have thought, you know, changed Jesus's name and made him like Timmy, you know, that we would think like, oh man, you know, Timmy had a couple of hundred people at the end of his career, you know, thing most of the people didn't recognize him. And, you know, we wouldn't be impressed by Timmy's ministry, right? But the fact of the matter is, is that all of us gather, you come from different parts of Houston and metro area for the purpose of what Christ has done for us. You know, and the thing is, is that I'm super excited around that. And so part of this, is that like my prayer every time I go and when I'm talking to people, is like, how, do, how can we become an answer to what we prayed in that other room? Where this talked about when Jesus in Matthew chapter nine says, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out more labors into the harvest. And I was just like, so we planted a church um, years back when he's like, we want our church to be an answer to that prayer. We're like, we're praising the Lord for conversions. But what we see is that the problem is not people who are living in Houston, people who are living in Atlanta, people who are living in other places. That's the, the, what the Bible says. That's not the problem. But they said that the problem is the lack of laborers. The harvest is plentiful. It's the labors of few. And what I've recognized is that too often you and I, and, Christians, we have reduced our Christianity to conferences, concerts, and church services. And so we're real effective in environments like this, but we just don't know how to do anything kind of in the streets. But here's the, here's the issue. Here's the problem that we have. You see, we are ministering in a new time, in a new age, and, and, and we've got to think about doing a new thing. And let me explain, because by doing a new thing, we just got to go back to the old thing. In 2001, I got married literally 11 days after 9-11. 11 11 days after 9-11. So we just, me and my wife just celebrated um, our 22nd anniversary. Um, We are married. We have six children now. So yes, pray for her right now as she's with all of them. There are six teenagers right now. So we have, no one told us not to have six teenagers at the same time. So, So yes, be in prayer. Intercede as I'm interceding for you. But 2001, basically the airline industry went through a major dilemma, right? After nine eleven, you know, the airline industry had to make a decision between what's essential and what's convenient. I and mean, if you remember that time, you know, if, how many of us traveled pre-9-11? I mean, pretty much a, a big chunk of us said pre-9-11, you were able to go into the to drop your loved ones off. You was almost able like, to go tuck them into the seat and like, you're good. Everything all right. And then kind of walk away. It was like it was just kind of like that, like pre 9-11. But now when you go to the airports, it's like you barely can even stop, drop them off without the cops. Like, all right, keep it moving, keep it moving. Because there's something happened. And What was going on is that they had to make a decision between what's convenient and what's essential based upon their mission. Based upon the mission that God Gay are the mission that their company had was going on. And what I recognize is that over these last four years. You know, the same thing is happening in the church. That we can we can trace it back. We can even say eight years, we can say four years. But basically, ever since the pandemic, let's just kind of put that as a as a marker you know, what has happened is that we have seen pastors, they, um, surveys have said that 33% of pastors are no longer in the career. They left pastoring. We know about all, we can talk about all the statistics of churches dying during that time. We can talk about these people changing professions, going through a change. All this is a lot of stuff that took place Um, over these last four years. And it's kind of like the gap years. We just kind of like went in and we just held on for life. And it seems like hopefully we're like coming out of that. But one thing that we recognize is that as if your church is like my church with 33% or even probably up to 40% of that church did not come back after the pandemic then I look now at my church and I'm just like, man, this is a completely different church of the church that I went to in the pandemic. And then I listen and I look at it and I recognize, man, everybody seems like they're going through deconstructing. Everybody's decolonizing everybody. And I was just like, here's the thing. We're just purely in a lot of trauma and there's a lot going on, and there's just a lot of things going on and see and the the problem is, is that in the midst of these last four years, what I've recognized and what I've noticed is that oftentimes it's the church that has not been speaking we haven't been speaking and you know, and so what we are still doing we're still fighting over issues, and so there's a lot of crossfire going on this way, but see, we haven't done what the airline industry had to do. we haven't begun to think about. The difference between what's convenient and what was essential. You see, and this is really where the tension is right now in the churches. And so many of us are still spending all of our times trying to get back to where we were pre-COVID. But I really believe that Matthew chapter 9 passage is really a, it's It's really an answer to the prayer of what's going on right now. You see, if you were to look at Matthew chapter 9, 37 and 38, when he says Jesus was going from city to city, town to town. And he says that he was healing every sickness and every disease. Well, something happened. It says that Jesus was literally greed. He was sick to his stomach, crouched over. And then after that, what we see is that for the first time he turns to his disciples and he says, listen, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out more laborers. You see, but the word sin right now doesn't give us enough force of what Jesus was actually talking about. Right there, when he says pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would, the Bible says the Greek is ekbalo. Pray that the Lord would ekbalo us. Ekbalo us. What does that mean? The word ekbalo means pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would force us out, that he would force us out. So what Jesus is ultimately saying, he says, I want you to pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would follow us, that he would force us out. Why? Because too many of us as believers define God's will by the path of least resistance. Too many of us find ourselves addicted to our comfort. So what ends up happening is that our comfort becomes the North Star. God is never calling us to harder and worse. He's always calling us to easier and better. And so the Lord basically says, listen, I need you to pray because the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. I need you to pray earnestly that God would follow us. Are we willing to pray that type of prayer for Houston? Lord, whatever you have to do, Force us out of our comfort. Get us out. Force us out. Because he knew that that too many of us recognize that we reduced our Christianity to, hey, conferences, concerts, church services, passive environments where there's one person who prepared and a bunch of passive people sitting and listening. And then we wonder why well, the, the people, like, and then we get frustrated with them when we talk about consumerism. You know, and so so he says, Ekbala, and so what I want to appeal to you today, and I'm going to be before you not too long, and I'm going to give kind of just like an appeal for what I believe that the answer is, the new thing, which is going back to the old thing. And that new thing is what Jesus says later on. He's like, guess what? Matthew chapter 10 and what? God answered our prayers. And guess who he's, who's the prayer? You are. And so for the first time, he names his disciples and he changes and there's a ship. He apostellos them. but Your Bible uses the same word, sin, but it's a different word. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would ekbalo us, and then he would apostello us. That word apostello basically means to be sent with authority and a specific purpose. And so, if any later on, he apostellos, he says, behold, I am apostelloing you as sheep. In the midst of wolves, but be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. You see, our ministry and what we're doing is about what we do in the midst or among wolves. You see, what God is doing is that He is trying to get us not to go back to what we have, but to apostello us for a new norm. He's in it in Acts chapters, in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, what we see is in like church, mega is going everywhere. They're just trying to figure out what to do with the 30, 40, 50,000 people. And God was like, hey, I love all the growth. I love what's happening. I love the big buildings. I love the multi-campuses. I love all the facts. I love all the things. But here's the problem. I said that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But you have decided to do a modern day Tower of Babel and focus all your attention here. You decided to do that, and so you're just building up your own little thing and making yourself kind of building something. He says, but listen, like, that's not what I'm here for. And so what ends up happening is Acts chapter 7. He's like, well, what happened in Acts chapter 7? Well, God raises up a man named Saul of Tarsus, and he kills Stephen. And he's like, where's the grace in that? What, what's going on there? And it's just like, well, you see what happened in Acts chapter 8. And it says, because of persecution, the word of God began to spread where? In Judea and Samaria. Oh, what we're not willing to do, God will follow us. And so in a time and in a season where we're focusing in on building up, and I'm not against big anything, but what I'm saying is that in a time where we're just simply building up our own Tower of Babels, this is the world is trying to say that... God needs to follow us. And now he needs to give us a specific purpose and a specific task on what we're doing. How is he apostelling us? And so what I claim and what I believe is that God's new thing, which is an old thing is what he talked about in Matthew chapter 28. Go make disciples of all nations. Right. I love kind of what I'm hearing here is this this idea of discipleship and disciple making and our multiplication. You see, and I love you, call of Houston Church Planning Network. And let me just say that I believe rightly. I believe that this statement is true, that we can be about planting churches and not make any disciples. But if we are about making disciples, churches will come. We will plant churches. And so what my challenge is, is not even in, about church planting per se. What I want to challenge you today is about disciple making. How do we make disciple making back to the core of what God is doing? Because it is so critical for us in a time where we need to be both some people that are both proclaiming the truth, but also relationally connected. And so for too many of us, it's not just about putting out right theology. It's not enough. Or it's not just about feeling, you know, being connected with people. It's not enough. And it kind of reminds me of this sort of like when you think about, um, you know, in a cold and dark world. This thing about it. in a cold and dark world. You know, you want to create a solution to that problem that on one side, there's a light post. And on the light post, it comes It's like, oh, that solves one of the problems. That I'm no longer dark. I mean, it's, it's no longer dark, but I'm still cold. Or on the flip side, it's like, let's create a space heater. And the space heater is like, oh, I feel the warmth, but I'm still in the dark. And a lot of our methodology, we fall on one of this, like, we need to either be about, like, relationships or about the word of God and just preaching right truth. Or on the other side, it's about just being in relationship. You see, but there's this biblical word that the Bible calls righteousness. And righteousness is a simple layman understanding is right relationship. You see, what righteousness is basically telling us is that that there is both justice and there is relationship. Because whenever people are in their trauma, people want justice. But people also want connection. Right. And so the problem is, is that we got to make sure that we're bringing the two together. So instead of being a light post or just simply being on the other side and being a space heater, God is here like, no, we would need to build is like a bonfire. You see, and a bonfire brings both light and it brings warmth. And if we're going to talk about the means about which we are bringing out the gospel, we got to understand that discipleship brings about both teaching right doctrine, but also a concern for the human community. And how do we marry? How do we wed these two worlds together? And so I just want you to know that, you know, I've planted a church called Blueprint Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, we planted about 13 years ago. And, and, I, and I tell people all the time that my call to the ministry, my call to the pastor, it wasn't a call to preach. It was ultimately a call to make disciples. And really, for me, who's someone who wasn't raised in the church, someone who came to know the Lord in college and someone who who gave their life to Christ and wasn't didn't have kind of all the church garb on me. That I was just like, I just remember, like, looking at the Bible, looking at what we was doing in the church and then looking at the Bible and looking at what we were doing. I was just like the the, the two don't seem like they're connecting. And so I was just like, I just made a commitment. It's like, Lord, I just want to do what I see in the scriptures and I just want to. Be able to put that on display for the world to see because I just was like, as a student and as someone who was at Dallas Theological Seminary, I was just like, man, like God, how in the world can the can this be the same? When I'm like reading these truths, because I was rocked. Like when I tell you I didn't know scriptures, I'm talking about like I didn't know David and Goliath, Samson and Delilah. I was like, I would read this She was like, who are these people? Like I just didn't have any clues. So I would just go back, and every time I hear my friends talking about it, I would go back and I would go read it. I was like, man you know, David and Goliath, so I would just go back. And so every single day I went to a different study. I was at InterVarsity, Campus State, Navigators. Like I went to a couple of coates. right? Every single day I was at something different because I felt like, man, I'm in spiritual tour days I didn't know Christianity, but I knew football. You know, my dad played pro football. I grew up playing football. I was at the University of North Texas and I was just like, that was it. I was like, I was on trajectory to be just like my dad and play in the NFL. And that was kind of thing. But then I started seeing, I was just like, oh, this is it. Right? And I was like, no one must not, not know about this. This idea of discipleship, I thought it was hidden from everybody. Because all I saw was church services, conferences, and concerts. All I saw was the big things. And I was like, what happened to the, the, the intimacy? Where we're just dispelling truth.' And so I said... So I was like, I made this commitment. And so at our church, there's a few statements that we state, we talk about that if you are going to be a part of Blueprint Church, we say that our call to membership is a call to discipleship. If you want to be a member at this church, you are saying you want to be discipled by this church because we foundationally believe that disciple making is not a ministry of the church, but disciple making is the ministry of the church, every ministry that we have in our church has to prove itself to show how do you help us make disciples? How do you help us make disciples? And basically, I kind of think about the analogy like this. Again, I play football. And so I think about the goal of football is scoring touchdowns, right? But we do recognize that many of people have lived, have had successful careers, but they never, ever, once ever scored a touchdown right? Because we also recognize that there are certain positions on the field that's not designed to score touchdowns. We know that offensive linemen, for instance, are not designed to score touchdowns. But we also know that if offensive line don't block, then there's no touchdowns being scored. And so the question becomes is how are you leveraging your ministries in your church, they're helping you make disciples. How is your hospitality team helping you make disciples? How is your parking team? How is all of the teams helping you to make disciples and understanding that every position, every role is important for the purpose of making disciples? We say that at our church, every member is either a vocational church planter or a vocational church planning team member. Because at one point in time, our goal is to send you out. If you don't live within a 1.5 mile radius, a 30 minute walk of where we currently exist, our goal one day is to send you out to be a part of a team to plant church. That our goal is that we only want 50% of our we want we would always want 50% of our church to be able to walk to church, right? And so we were just like, what does that look like for us to do that? So a call to membership is a call to discipleship because disciple make is not a ministry, but it is B ministry. But if we're going to do it, it's all about reproduction. We got to understand that we got to get to the core of who we are and we got to be healthy because some people don't need to reproduce. Let me just say that. Some people don't need to reproduce. Don't reproduce your unhealth. Right. Don't reproduce. Because here's the here's the thing and we know all for those of us who have children. You teach what you know. But you reproduce who you really are. You teach what you know, but you reproduce who you really are. And so this is really the heartbeat of what we're doing. And so where is this call? Where do we see this call for the local church to go about making disciples? You see, we see in the Great Commission that it is the Great Commission. It's not a mouth It is God's Great Commission to make disciples. And it's sort of like if, you know, it's like if my children, if I told my children, which are all teenagers, and this is like really happens oftentimes, I said, hey, go clean up your room. They go up to the room and they're gone for about an hour or so. And then they come back to get something. Neat. I was like, did you clean your room? And it's like, well, dad, you know, we didn't clean up our room. What do you mean by clean? You know, we, you know we, we talked about cleaning our room. We discussed it. We even like separated. Like we did all the stuff. We even talked about clean in the Greek, right? But did we actually clean our room? Ah, no. And I feel like oftentimes that's what's going on in the church. You know, over and over again, people have said, oh, it's about making disciples of discipleship. There's not going to be a pastor in the room that's ever going to say it's not about making disciples. But then when you ask about your plan, what is your plan for disciple making? It's like, well, you know, we we gather, we and we just talk around it. But then at the core, we just simply ask, well, where are your men? Where are your women? Where are they? And it was like, well, you know, We're in process. We're building. We're trying to get a committee together for that. And and we lose it. And so this. So I really want to challenge us. Paul's commitment to discipleship. He says, like, not only is it our responsibility to make disciples as pastors and leaders of our churches, it is our responsibility to develop and defend a disciple making culture. It is our responsibility. First, second, Timothy, chapter two, one through seven, tells us this. He says, you, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, the same commits to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life so that he can, so that he can seek to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to share of the, the, share, get the, the share of the crops. Consider what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Right here, Paul is talking to Timothy. And I remember you've probably been to this um, the, to this conference before when they talk about, you know, 2 Timothy chapter 2. It was my life verse. It was the verse that kind of propelled me on to, to doing ministry, and it was a thing that, that grounded me. You probably heard that, and you says there's four generations of people in 2 Timothy 2. It's Paul talking to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, and faithful men teaching others also. All of the things, and I was just like, and all of those things are true, that this is about discipleship. But I also recognize that too many of us have reduced discipleship to mentorship. Discipleship to mentorship. That we recognize that mentorship is simply as one on one or one on three, but what do we do with Jesus? Also, he had the twelve. What do we do when he had also seventy? And what do we do with Matthew and um, John chapter six, which says many disciples left? No one would call one on seventy discipleship, right? And so, but we recognize that we, that our definition of disciple is simply the idea of just simply being a follower. And so, Paul gives. He says, "Listen, ministry has been hard." I don't know. Second Timothy has been one of the most encouraging books in this pandemic for me. And here's the reason why Paul is tired. Like, go back and read Second Timothy. Paul is tired. If you remember back in Galatians, Paul was just like, man, Philippians, Galatians. In his early letters, he was like, so live is Christ, the die is gay. I'd rather be like, he was like, let's go. I'm ready. I'd rather be gone, but i am here. And I'm like, he was this amped, excited. Second Timothy was like, they all left me. Even he left me. There, this man. I mean, I was rolling with him, and he like he's tired. He's fatigued. And it's just like I've ran the race. I've finished it. I've been poured out like a drink offering. Basically, I don't know if they had pandemics then, but they went, he probably went through a pandemic of sort. Churches leaving him, people leaving them, all the stuff. That was going on but he's tired but what he's doing is that he's encouraging he says hey timothy regardless of the fact that i'm tired endure do the work and he says and let me tell you what that work is the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses the same commit to faithful men you see because Hardship has a way of getting us focused. Pain has a way of giving us, getting us that tunnel vision. And see, Paul right there, 2 Timothy, as he's ending his kind of ministry, and he's about to die in prison, he's basically giving him his final. It's like, listen, endure, but only endure for the right things, endure for the thing. And this is the thing that God says to go and make disciples of all nations. And so we recognize that this is an epistle that's talking to Timothy. But the other thing that we got to recognize is that 2 Timothy is a pastoral epistle. Paul is telling Timothy, what does it look like for you to develop a culture of disciple making within your church? Not just about who are you discipling, but what does holistically for you to look like for you to make disciples? And he gives us four things in here. He says that if we're going to make disciples first, Timothy, you got to be strong in grace. you got to be strong in grace. You see, because here's the thing. I know we've been to the conference and we've already probably already said it a couple of times that, you know, if you're going to disciple people, find the fat people. Right. Faithful, available and teachable. I don't know, but none of them live in my neighborhood. None of the faithful, available, teachable people live in my neighborhood. I live in my part of town. I seem like I get the unfaithful, the unavailable, and the ones that know more than me. It's like raising teenagers, right? Right? And so it's just like, and that's what I, I get more than, more than not. And so he says, hey, this, this, this thing, he says, the same deliver to faithful men. But the thing is, is that he says, Paul, like Timothy, be strong in grace. Because here's the truth. We recognize the gospel, right? And then the gospel is a couple of things, right? And then we know that there's this gap. This is God, this is man, right? When we find out in a healthy Christian life, there's two things that happen. One, we start studying the scriptures and we start seeing them. He's like, man, God is more holy. He's more perfect than I ever thought. He's the only person that we engage with that is like, he's better than what I thought. Everybody else is a disappointment as we start interacting with one another, right? But he's better than we thought. But then the other reality is, is that we find out is like, man, because we stopped comparing ourselves, we thought it was just the big sins that we have to get rid of, like stop drinking, stop cussing, stop like all the big stuff. But then we started realizing, oh, it's not just the big things, but even the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing, and it's just like, and so what we find is that I'm more sinful than I thought. I'm sorry, this is a healthy Christian life when we stop comparing ourselves to one another. God is more holy, and I'm more sinful. You see, but the problem is, is that he says, be strong in grace. The problem is, is that our view of the cross remains the same as it goes through. And, and we try to build it up, whatever our ism is. You know, we all got isms. Some of us is intellectualism. It's asceticism. It's emotionalism. It's whatever your ism is, legalism. What, what the cross doesn't ma- um, mean in this growing dynamic, we find our own ism, and we usually divide them up into denominations. We find our ism to kind of latch onto. But Paul's like, no, no, no. See, like, that's not what this is about. This is about recognizing to be strong in grace means to grow in the grace of the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. That this reality is not a a bad thing. This reality is to recognize that what Christ did back in the day for you is greater than you ever thought it was. And this is the reason why in Colossians chapter two, five, where it says in the same way you received Christ, walk in him. How do we receive him? By grace, through faith. Right. And so the first thing that if we're going to enter into a relationship where people it's not just about giving people light, but it's also about giving them warmth, that we have to understand that we ourselves have to be strong in grace and we have to be able to give grace. That grace is both. Grace is both um, um, unmerited favor, but it's also divine enablement. That there's there is not either or it's both and. It allows us to recognize that. And so he says, be strong in grace. But then he says, not only to be strong in grace, he also tells us to, he says, be single-minded like a soldier. You see, I don't know if you guys have ever been in war. I've never been in war, but I've played um Nerf guns and you know, paintball and all that. And I'm like, I would have never been good at war. Because those bullets just flying by and all that. I'm just like, please don't hit me in my face. Don't like. So I'm going through this. And what I recognize is that if you are in war. And you start thinking about civilian life. You know what you call that? A dead soldier. Paul says, hey, don't entangle yourselves with the affairs of this world. But you need to focus. You need to be single-minded like a soldier so that you can please the one who's enlisted you as a soldier, the one who said, go clean your room. The one who said, go and make disciples. Right? He says, that's what it's about because we got to make sure we keep the main thing, the main thing. Right. And so we recognize these differences and see, here's the thing. And when he says, here's the main thing, teach the things that you've heard me say, commit to faithful men so that they will be able to teach others also. He says, don't get cute with it. So at our church, what we say is that here, here's the reality. The gospel changes people. And God uses people to change the world. We don't have a new gospel. We don't have a different gospel. We're not going to juggle while we talk about the gospel. This is simply thing is, is the gospel changes people and God uses people to change the world. And so we're going to keep the main thing, the main thing. And see, here's the thing. It says we're going to divide everything up with three categories, either principle, prudence or preference. Principle means there's a verse in scripture that I can go to and I can look at it and I can say, and that's it. That, like, so like the Bible says, do not fornicate. I can give you a verse in scripture, do not fornicate. The next one is prudence. Prudence is wisdom. I can't show you in the scripture, but like it's wise. That's like, do not cohabitate. Right? Because I can't give you a Bible verse that says don't cohabitate, but here's the truth. If you're cohabitating, You're probably fornicating, right? And there's just lots of history and wisdom to say that's probably not a good idea. This is wisdom. But then, so that's principle, there's prudence, but then there's preference. And preference is you like CCM, I like gospel, right? And this is kind of like left or or even another one is in this analogy is I kiss dating goodbye. I'm not going to date. Right. That's preference. The problem is, is, that in this divided world, too many of us are dying on the heels of preference. And we're not about the principle that God has given us and returning back and making sure the main thing is the main thing. He says, so be single minded like a soldier, but not just single minded like a soldier, be disciplined like an athlete. You see, athletes, I, I was an athlete. But I would never forget there was a, a case with Flojo. Flojo ran the um, 110 meter hurdle, 100 meter hurdles for the women. And she was one of the most you know, beautiful people that um, ran the tracks. And so one day she was being um, interviewed by Good Morning America. And Good Morning America, I forgot who it was, but they says, hey, some of your pundits basically say that the only reason why you're as them, you know, the celebrity that you are is because you haven't really won much is... Because of your beauty, what would you say to those pundits? And she responded, it was like, I would invite them into my home and I would say, just kind of watch me. And then she just went on to talk about how for every day, six days a week, for at least four to five hours a day, she talk about her eating regimen. She was talking about what she did to work out, to buffet her body, to do all this stuff. And, you know, I said how she would do this for, you know, year after year, you know, preparing for the Olympics. And then I was just like, and then they hit me. And then after that, they said the the, like the, Record at that time was like 12 seconds. And I remember, I was like, here's a woman who works out six days a week for four hours a day for four years straight for a 12-second race. And I was like, how much more are we to discipline ourselves for an eternal grief, for an eternal prize? And so Paul says, be disciplined like an athlete. But then he also says that this disciple thing is so important. Persevere like a farmer. You see, in the farming, like, you know, if you're ever a good urban ch- urban church planner, like I was, I, you know, everybody at some point, if you're a good urban church planner, you did some type of urban garden. Right? I don't know anything about gardening, but I was learning how to be a good church planner. So let me try to start an urban garden. So I did an urban garden. And, and I remember going to the Home Depot and I said, like, I got this little five foot space in my backyard that I'm going to use. And and I cannot get one of those tillers that, you know, that you have so I can start my garden. And I was just like, when it was like, how long do you need? I was like, ah, oh, an hour or two, I got you. You know, I'll bring it right back. So I go out there and I'm tilling the, the thing and, you know, I'm recognizing, oh, this is a lot more harder work. So after an hour, I'm still doing it. And so like three to four hours later, I recognize, okay, I'm not going to be done. So I go back and I get a longer extension on it. And so I do this with, I do it for some time. Cause I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm trying to do it. And so what ends up happening is that after like about three days of labor and tilling the land, doing all this stuff, and then I start trying to water, you know about three days what I had? Grounded up dirt. With water that was wet, right? Like I I didn't have much. But then basically, what I would do is every single day I would go out and I would pour, and you know what grew up faster than with the weeds. So everything else grew. But guess what? The thing that I was trying to grow did not grow. And I recognize that all I can do is continue to do the work that this handbook or this guide is telling me that I need to do in order to be a successful gardener. I didn't know if I was doing the right thing. I didn't know, but I was trying to be patient. And I think the same way so many of us, the reason why many of us as pastors don't like discipleship to be the main thing is because we we want to focus on everything else. We want to focus on everything else. And so we don't keep the main thing, the main thing. So what I can do is like, how well did I preach? How many people came today? How is offering? Those are instant gratification. But, you know, right now I told you, I'm parenting six teenagers from 14 to 20, right? And he's like, well, am I doing a good job? I was like, I don't know. We'll find out in about five to 10 years. But all I can do is just keep doing what the handbook, what the Lord has told me to do, and hopefully that I'm faithful. And then sometime at 25 and beyond, we'll find out whether or not it was good or not, right? And so for many of us, when we start talking about discipleship, we all have our stories and we all have our things where we just like, man, I poured so many years and so many life and time into this person, but at the end, what happened? They ran, they're no longer in the faith, they're deconstructing, they're decolonizing, they're this, and like all the things that's going on. And it's just kind of like, man, like, and we're grieved and we're sick to our stomach. And then, so what happens is that I find that like you and me, that there's trauma. And I recognize my own personal trauma in the midst of all of this. You know, during that time of COVID, I had a daughter who tried to attempt to kill herself. I've had elders try to remove me as an elder. I've had like literally member wars with people where I thought we was going like to throw blows like in the elders meeting. And so like, I was just like, Lord, what is happening? And there was times I was like, I'm done. I'm done with this. There's so many other things I could do. But then I remember what Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would follow us. Like, it wasn't my plan to be a pastor. It wasn't my plan to be, to be a pastor in the heart of Atlanta, where we have the fastest-growing gentrifying community, but we also have the largest Section 8 housing. And there are two worlds that are right on top of one another. That literally, this past, like the, the park that I live across the street from for many years in our neighborhood, that a park that's no bigger than this auditorium had 20 murders, in 10 years. I'm not talking about the neighborhood in this park. That this past summer we talk about, it's probably like eight to nine murders in our neighborhood. But it's also the birth home of Dr. King. That I minister in the old fourth ward and I constantly tell people, I think, our church, that we are one bad traffic light of being the next hashtag. Because these worlds are right there. And it's like a powder, a powder keg of what's going. And so the question becomes that if it's true that The church is the gospel made visible. We have the ability to be the church, but here's the thing. Don't go out and just simply start a church or even be a church, establish a family, establish a family. Because there's two things that I recognize, that any family or any problem, a problem becomes a real problem When it becomes your problem. A problem becomes a real problem. When it becomes your problem. Something becomes your problem. For one of two reasons. Number one is through proximity. And the other one is relationship. And if I recognize evangelicalism. In the current state. Here's the thing. We. And I'm talking ethnically. Right now. We don't live by one another. And guess what? There's no real relationship either with one another. And so this is the reason why instead of being about the father's business, we end up pouring grenades at one another instead of being about what God is doing. And so we don't keep the main thing, the main thing. And so a problem is not a real problem until it's our problem. And so my prayer is that as God is following us, and he is opposing on us that we would recognize that we need a, a a framework that brings both light, but also warmth. And there's nothing greater than the vehicle that God has given us through disciple-making in the local church. Because here's the thing, the church is not like family. The church is family. God is our father. Jesus is our elder brother. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no greater work to give yourself to than what you're doing. And hopefully that you are encouraged in the same way Paul is trying to encourage Timothy to stay in it. My prayer is that this book would be the same encouragement, that in the midst of all hell breaking loose, that we would remain faithful. That we would would understand where else could we go, as Peter said, when hard times came. Where else can we go? You have the, the, the words of life. So stay encouraged. Make the main thing the main thing. And let's be about discipleship and disciple-making in our context. And that's how we differentiate between what's convenient and what's essential.